Welcome to The Lonely Marketer, sponsored by Pager. My name is Glenn Southam, and this is your show for all things recruitment marketing. We share the challenges, the successes, advice, and the screw-ups from the leading marketing talent working in recruitment. And most importantly, find out what their favorite swear word is. We speak to the companies working to make marketing recruitment more effective and efficient, and to those people who have opinions that make you think about things that little bit differently. You can find me on LinkedIn, and if you want to follow the bear, then head over to thelonelymarketers.com for links to all of our social channels and to sign up for our newsletter. But now, it's time for the show. Let's do this. Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of The Lonely Marketer and I'm looking forward to today's episode because now and again we, we dive into a kind of a specialist um, subject and that is exactly what we're doing today when it comes to kind of content and copywriting and, and the expert, um, not, to, not to big him up too much, um, who's joining us is uh, Luca Rossi from uh, Talent Right. Um, Luca, welcome to the show. Uh, thanks for having me, Glenn. Absolutely very thrilled to be here and hopefully to impart a little bit of knowledge. Uh, like, 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 like I said before, we hit record. All we look for is those couple of nuggets that people could take away and apply in their, uh, in their day job. So I'm sure we'll get that and more. Um, before, before kind of we um, kick off and get into the, you know, the detail of, of writing and, and content and that, and that world for, you know, for the benefit of, of those listening, do a little bit of a you know a tour of your career and your experience just to you know add some color to um to the guest yeah sure glenn i'll, I'll try and keep it as quick as i can um so basically um, my writing career sort of goes back to around the millennium and um, when i actually had a change of career to focus on my passion for sport and writing at the time so i started like as a web editor for a company called sportal at the time you may you may not remember them they were kind of a bit of a, a rival to bbc sport there were a couple of companies in that space and you know that's where i kind of cut my teeth really and then from there i did a postgrad journalism course um got some experience within you know some newspapers and magazines and then um fast forward to 2006 uh may 2006 and there i am applying for a job as web, web editor at hayes which i i then got and that's where i started my recruitment career and here i am 16 years later still kind of in the sector yeah and i think i, I think um I certainly can, and I'm sure there's a few listeners who can um, who can uh, relate to uh, that getting stuck. I think it's the it's the kind of Godfather analogy of once you you know they always pull you back in whenever whatever you're tempted to to get out a little bit. And look, I, I know um, you you mentioned you're in you've been in the recruitment world for a while, and I know you've worked with a number of um, you know lonely marketers who have been on the show and other people within the community, and you know you come kindly highly recommended in terms of um, in terms of the stuff that that you've created and the work that you've done, and you know what I wanted to get from from today's episode is really you know let, let's um, let's drill down and pull out that knowledge. Um, and just dig into a, a few specific areas, really, when it comes to that content and um, and, and the writing world. Um, so, where I wanted to start, really, and you know, this is it's a common thing that's um, you know it's kind of a hot topic, and it hasn't gone away. Um, people talk about it all the time. People's personal brands and raising the profiles of individuals within recruitment businesses and 
kind of the recruitment businesses themselves. Um, what's the best way for people to do that via, you know, the, the content that they're creating? And we may have to cut the recording really short if you say post cat pictures or anything like that. So let's, um, <laughs> let's, let's draw a line under that now. Uh, yeah, I mean, firstly, let me say that for me, I always see my job as kind of, you know, two of the main things that I see are raising <clears throat> the profile of, you know, your, your SMEs, your subject matter experts, and obviously via association with that, obviously raising the profile of your brand as well. The two sort of go hand in hand. So I always see myself as very much, that's one of the main things for me to achieve is right, how do we do that? And obviously, you know, through through the content that, that you kind of create. Um, I mean, uh, how, how do you do it? I, I, you know, I suppose, first of all, I mean, as obvious as it sounds, you know, in an ideal world, you'd want to hire a specialist content writer because, again, you know, and I'm not just saying that because I do it, but industry knowledge is, is so important. No, it really is, isn't it? You know, you could hire all the people from externally or from other industries, but again, you've got to get them up to speed. They won't know the industry. They won't know the terminology. You know, lots of things that obviously myself, having been in the industry and having learned along the way, you kind of pick up and that ally to writing and having a passion for content is obviously key then obviously i mean in terms of how you do it you know that you know there are many ways it's, it's all it's kind of a team effort isn't it glenn you know I, I see myself as a content creator writer and then obviously you work with marketing managers you work with you know your web experts digital campaigns automation to obviously promote and execute that content which as we know is fundamental with the roi and data and everybody wanting to see you know where you know what, what's the value that marketing brings but how sorry your question in terms of how you do it is obviously you've got to start really getting that content out there extracting the knowledge from these experts so that obviously means interviewing people talking to people and then obviously starting perhaps you know uh, on the website with with articles also linkedin blogging you know linkedin pulse is another way of doing it market snapshots market overviews you name it there are so many ways to slice it and dice it but ultimately you've got to talk to people because the knowledge comes from within right the knowledge yeah. comes from those experts you know and there is so much knowledge sometimes it's actually frustrating that we you know for whatever reason there are stumbling blocks in terms of getting it whether it's the time constraint whether it's people being almost also slightly afraid to write they may they may need a bit of hand holding they may need a bit of guidance as i've found but once that happens you'd be surprised that's when the magic kind of almost excuse the cliche but that's when the magic happens people get a bit of confidence they start talking to you they see their articles they they get involved and then they get an appetite for it so i don't know if i've answered it in in, in the detail that you wanted there glenn but no that's that, it, I, I think it's spot on like say that there's so much knowledge within recruitment businesses and, and specifically within the consultants of the recruitment businesses who are having daily conversations and interactions um with their target markets it is pulling that out and sometimes it's not you know not even the consultants themselves it's being able to pull it out of your candidates and clients and having that that opportunity to speak with you know to put it into uh, kind of a group the end users type thing and using them as content one of the things i think sometimes um, marketers and or content writers struggle struggle with and you know you do this for a living all the, all the time and and you've mentioned raising the profile of individuals and consultants like that if 
me as a marketer or you as a as a as a content writer how do you manage kind of creating individual kind of tones of voices and personalities for for different people if you if you know what i mean so so that even though it's more than just a name and a you know a profile picture on a website and everything reads and feels the same how, how do you how do you balance that challenge in terms of like tone of voice and things oh that's a really interesting question actually because i mean I, I guess i always try and write in a way i think you know you're, you're always taught even you know when, when you've attended i don't know brand workshops in the past or whatever you know through rebranding exercises but also just copywriting you're always taught to kind of write you know with a you know very much in in, in a human way right so like you're with a mate down the pub you know in a very sort of conversational way i mean it depends obviously the platform clearly if it's a blog post on linkedin i think you can afford to do that a bit more if it's something a little bit more serious then obviously you've got to adapt so I think part of the role of the content writer we're a bit of sort of chameleons in that way we've got to kind of adapt but also get out and you're right actually also I mean I actually edited you know some books for a friend of mine and one of the things he told me was you know you try and keep in those specific words that people use in a book so especially when you're quoting that person because you're actually trying to get their personality across and absolutely if they're effing and blinding you want to eff and blind in those quotes because that's just the way it kind of that's the way they speak you know plus obviously regional dialects and all the rest of it but you know in answer to your question I think you just try and make it as, as human as you can but obviously at the end of the day it is external facing isn't it the content you've got to be careful you can't take it to extremes or cross the line too much but you need to you know all the sorts of tricks that you know so you address people you know in, in the second person singular you know you and you know you don't make it so self-aggrandized about us how brilliant we are but it's more about the audience the candidate the client that you're trying to so you just make it very warm i would say warm friendly for one of two two better words really yeah I, I think that's a really interesting take i suppose you know it's elements to like probably what impressionists do is if you're talking <laughs> to someone and like you said you're going through those early stages of when you're kind of creating content and doing the the interviewing side of things is if you can just pick out one or two kind of traits or characteristics of that person and a couple of nuances and just kind of flow those through the you know the writing that you're that you're good at that that kind of creates the differentiator um, yeah Donna, the other thing i was going to say glenn with that is as well the more you build a relationship with the particular person then obviously you then get a feel more and then you kind of you become almost like a voice for them you're like a voice piece for them so you pick up on more words you know that they're as you said those nuances as well so and I think that's why it's fundamental as well for blogging or content writing whatever that it's consistent but also regular it's got to be ongoing and and again I'm a big fan of relationships you've got to build you've got to talk to people whether obviously on the phone or in person and by doing that you you then pick up those little words that then you can use in headlines or subheadings or whatever that give it that little something extra um as you say you meant you you picked up there about being um consistent you know consistent in your content to to build um that brand awareness to demonstrate that subject matter expertise or, or and what what you mentioned um and I know this is important is important to you based on the discussions we had prior to recording. And it's it's quite a big bugbear of mine because it's certainly in recruitment. I don't think it happens enough. Um, so let's talk a little bit about um, repurposing content and getting 
getting the most most bang for your buck, if you like. Yeah. 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 That's it. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, you, 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 you go. Sorry. Hey, what, what is your view? What is your view on it, really? Um, well, I, I think um, no. My view on it is that I think it, it's a time thing. I think sometimes you know when when you're busy, obviously creating content. I think in an idea ideal world you'd like to repurpose so for example i don't know a webinar a podcast you can use all sorts of slides from a webinar um you know the recording from from a podcast whatever it may be to repurpose a lot of stuff so no no my thoughts are that repurposing is is, is brilliant because you turn effectively one piece of content into five or six or seven other bits of content so of course what's not to like about that i would just say that sometimes is it realistic and, and how much time have you got so i think you've got to kind of you know pick your back a little bit in terms of what you do but repurpose it in a way where you are going to get gain benefit from it so for example you know obviously web articles are always good because you've got the seo angle which is obviously good for for optimization of websites but many many other ways so my my view is yeah absolutely repurpose as much as you can um and it because it's a great way of, of and also of having that regular stream of content like you said so potentially you know you do one piece then you can almost put it in your content calendar can't you for the next month you've almost got that one piece that then becomes four pieces or, or once a month so it's, if you don't want to repeat it you know week after week you might want to hold back and repurpose after a month kind of thing yeah and it's not even just repurposing kind of the content in the form that it was created is it is there's a lot of opportunities for repurpose content in different formats. You know, you might have a blog article online, but that can be repurposed into, you know, a couple of graphics for social media or one of the sliders you have on LinkedIn with equally links back to whatever that anchor bit of content is. Um, so it's, you know, don't just think about repurposing and reposting the original stuff, but think about how, how it can be, you know, tweaked and, adapted in different formats and, and probably speak to different people at different times as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think that's where the value of having an in-house designer lies, you know, especially whenever I work on content or I've been, you know, working, say, you know, in permanent roles or particularly with a client for a period of time in, in the office, whatever. Absolutely. You get a quote, you get whatever straight away. You go to your designer and say, look, can you just quickly knock up a quick graphic, a visual for LinkedIn? Because that's just great. I think that, and it's also a great way, like you said, to promote a longer piece. So you take out the shorter little quotes or, or kind of nuggets, if you like, and then that'll help you as well to promote the white paper or the report. So it's absolutely right. So priceless having a, a good designer, I think is a must as well. Yeah, I, th I think sometimes, uh, if I'm thinking from a wider marketing point of view, is that sometimes we we kind of get stuck in, in our own little marketing bubble and we feel like, right, we've done a piece of work, a piece of content, right, it's done, we've posted it, it's out there, forget about it, move on to it. But the reality is, even though you might have spent a lot of time working on it, reading it, and you've pushed it out there, only such a small percentage of your total you know your target market would have seen that first time anyway so it's so important to to keep on repeating the message you you mentioned a um uh when we were kind of prepping and discussing ahead of ahead of this podcast and um you know i've heard of of kind of the phrase but i don't know too much about it you were talking about content transmission and amplification so you know this this um i think you described it as the the multiplier effect of um of sharing um can you just explain and chat about that for a sec 
Yeah, sure, Glenn. Um, I, I remember coming across it because I read a lot. Um, you know, I just love reading. So I'm always like downloading stuff and, and reading articles and books. And I remember coming across that very term in a book by Mark. I think it's Schaefer, it's his, his uh, surname. Yes, and it's his book. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you'll see him. He's quite active, isn't he? On, on so, And I think the book was called The Content Code at the time. And I remember, I think I was at Corn Ferry at the time. And we were doing a lot of like blogging and getting subject matter experts to really, we were actually publishing on LinkedIn and then promoting those posts via you know the company page and and i remember it just really resonated with me because basically um <clears throat> what, what mark was saying i remember was that if you can say get say you're a company of a thousand people if say i don't know 20 people at the moment are sharing your you know the stuff that you put out on linkedin if you can just up that or double that from say 20 to 50 or 20 to 100. Now, for a company of a thousand people, that would only be, say, 10% of the workforce, right? It wouldn't be an incredible amount to think, God, isn't that so? That's too many. And, and he was saying basically that those small changes, though, with the networks that people have on like LinkedIn, you know, the thousands of people, it basically creates, as you said, this multiplier effect. So effectively, you're getting 10 more people sharing, but you've got to think their networks of 5,000 people, multiply them all, square them. You know, maths isn't my, my strong point, but you can imagine that those multiples quickly add up and it can become your audience, you know, the, the reach, your audience reach can really gain a hell of a lot from that. So his point just really, I always remember, it just struck home with me because it's just, you know, we've always struggled. I've always found the companies I've worked for getting consultants to share. And I know that pager you know sponsor the podcast and i don't know a lot about pager but i know that that's kind of their product isn't it it's kind of helping people you know uh, promote content so but anyway back to that they, they don't need like... more advertising they get a little <laughs> there's probably an advert already happened in this episode they don't need more advertising. right no, no, fair enough but no i think the reason i mentioned them is because i know there are other tools i've used um in the past but anyway the, the long and the short of it glenn is that more people you can get to share it creates a big massive multiplier effect and then obviously you can engage in conversations you're going to get more likes more shares engagement levels will go up you can you know see all those on, on your linkedin dashboard and all the rest of it and it just has a big big impact and i think that's the kind of message you want to get through to to, to teams and consultants is obviously you know it doesn't cost a lot and it but you know a couple of minutes a day to kind of to share and to engage in content can have a massive effect especially for like big companies um you know is it a lot to ask for the five percent of your consultants share something whereas maybe one percent do but if you got to five percent you're going to see five times the impact on you yeah yeah well 100 <laughs> <laughs> very true the lonely marketer is sponsored by pager pager builds your brand not just your company but your recruiters personal brands too pager is used by over 4,000 recruiters every day to share content on linkedin and branded jobs driving traffic back to your website and plugging straight into Google Analytics. The all-in-one tool that 360 recruiters love and marketers need. To find out why we won Recruit Marketing Solution of the Year twice in a row, head over to pager.co. That's P-A-I-G-E-R dot C-O to find out more. I want to kind of, just, just before we kind of dive into, you know, getting to know you a little bit more with the five questions and things, I want to talk a little bit about... Um, kind of different styles of, of writing and when to you know apply different styles to like different projects that you might come across in especially in the recruitment world because one of the things 
I've seen a lot over the past, you know, too many years to, to mention of, of working in the industry specifically is when we come to kind of recruitment websites and it's, it's getting better. Don't, don't get me wrong here, but so many recruitment websites and or brochures that explain what the company do it's it's like somebody has just like thrown up a dictionary you know and, and it's just gone all over the paper and everyone tries to say absolutely everything about their business and it ends up not saying a lot so you know what's your kind of that your your advice around you know when you're creating either website content or brochureware content that's you know that people aren't going to read a huge amount they're not going to pay attention you know when to know that you know that less is more approach is is right i think that that's sometimes more of a skill isn't it when it comes to writing is writing less and getting the same message across than doing a thousand words blog in some cases yeah i mean th that's interesting because i'm <clears throat> Yeah, less is more. Um, yeah, true, especially say on a home page of a website, for example, you know, you've got to be very strategic. And, you know, often with, with, with a lot of websites, you get, you know, you have to scroll down for, you know, an eternity, you know, below the fold and, and all that type of stuff. And it's, it becomes too much. People try and overdo it. I, I agree with you. I mean, however, though, with, with content, specifically expert content, you know, it has been proven that long form content does, you know, is very effective, especially with Google. Google loves that. So I think we need to be a little bit careful when we say less is more. It depends, like you said, which particular, say, platform you're referring to, the type of content you're referring to, and all that. So I think we need to be a little bit careful That's with that. True. Yeah. Um, but in, in general, though, um, you know, it's all about the audience and it's all about, I think, about us pages. You know, you talk about that. I mean, they're, you know, notoriously quite bland and, and boring, aren't they? You know, there's not, they're all the same. It's a bit like somebody's bio. They're, they're very kind of similar. Probably there isn't. People too don't much. care, really. I think your target <laughs> yeah. audience don't, your target audience generally don't care as much about you and your business yeah. as you do. I think as humans, um, and, you know, yeah. We're, we're, we're quite a, a selfish species in, in the sense that I'm not, I'm not saying that everyone's selfish, but we kind of want to know how something's going to benefit us, how it's going to improve our lives, how it's going to improve society and stuff like that yeah. in certain terms. And I think that's, that's kind of the key. You mentioned it right at the start of this episode. It's like, stop talking about you <laughs> kind of stuff. But yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah, no, no. I mean, that word self-aggrandizing, I always remember yeah. for some reason. But no, no, but, but you're right. And also job ads as well. Mm. Uh, as an example, you know, uh, you know, it's always about a list of responsibilities. And we do this, aren't we great? We've won this award. We've done that. Aren't... But, you know, a candidate wants to know what's in it for me. So you've got to you've got to grab them at the beginning. So mm. you, you want to start strong at the top. And you do that by addressing them and saying, you know, kind of involving them, engaging them from the beginning and making them want to read more. And then obviously there will be some more boring elements, but in general, absolutely, Glenn, as, as, as a point of, of, yeah, of focus, yeah, you've got to make it, you know, even on your homepage, it's, you know, people want to look at if it's a candidate, you know, advice, careers advice, potentially, or, th or, or reports if it's a client. So you've got your buyer personas, you've got your audience, and then you've got to kind of reel them in straight away. And the 
the homepage. And I think back in the day, maybe more than now, Glenn, as, as, as maybe you may agree, um, you know, recruitment websites were kind of seen as glorified job boards, weren't they? Mm. You know, you, you had all your keywords that it was all about accountancy jobs, banking jobs, legal jobs. And it was all just to, you know, to, to do well on SEO, but also to get people to click through to jobs which obviously is important but at the same time you've got to be a little bit careful with that approach i think no i completely agree just before i dive into the the five quick fire questions um you know if you were giving a bit of advice to someone who's listening who's about to you know write a a piece of content in a very specific um kind of niche that they, they're operating in and you know the majority of recruitment businesses and certainly i know the the community of um of the lonely marketers uh work in quite niche sectors is there is there a set structure when it comes to writing something that, that, that you approach or is it is it different or you know have you got a set way you know this is yeah. your chance to you know yeah tell, tell everyone the secrets of the trade well, no, it's, it's a really good point. I think my journalism training really helped me with that. And, and again, it, it, it depends, again, what, what, what you're writing, if, it, if it's a web article, if it's a brochure, whatever. I mean, some of the, you know, the rules kind of apply, but ultimately it's kind of like, I always remember, you know, at journalism school, whatever, they teach you the inverted pyramid, for example. So basically you want to put the important stuff at the top and then slowly, you know, you go into, so that's particularly effective, say, in a newsletter when maybe you're writing about a country or a market or whatever, you know, you start at the top and then you sort of you know you sort of work your way down with the less important stuff kind of further down then obviously it, it's a case of structure you want to you want you want the paragraphs quite concise you know not too long you want your subheadings to break up the copy so that you've got good flow to it you want a good call to action at the end you know all those a good headline a very strong headline of course all those sorts of things so i guess it does depend and back to your point before i think that's one of maybe the underrated um you know part of you know why a writer or you know you know is underrated why the role is underrated is because we have to adapt to many different styles mm -hmm. a press release a brochure uh, um, an email you know you've got a subject line in an email you've got they're all different and if you don't have that experience so you know you need a bit of training you need to learn the rudiments of business writing stroke sales copywriting but also allied if you've got the journalism background as well of course that will help and remember that's a totally different ball game to conceptual copywriting which is in the advertising world so people get those confused a copywriter in advertising ain't necessarily a great writer he's, he's more he's more an ideas man who can write a bit but business writing but you also need to learn the tips of business copywriting so the two kind of um aligned together so to speak yeah. there's but there's always could... some theory there there's always theory there yeah it? it's not it's not so straightforward though glenn as, as you can appreciate and i think as i said that's why it's so underrated what, what we do as writers is underrated because of that and people maybe don't really realize just how how much you do need to know and knowledge you do need to have and that's the truth <laughs> I, 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 I completely agree you to, to be honest you, you only have to look around um kind of LinkedIn and not just recruitment and various stuff you know you think of, about the the volume of, of content that is out there written or otherwise um there's only there's only a very very small percentage that really uh, away from the the crazy viral stuff that goes viral for viral sake sometimes there's there's very few bits of content that really make you sit up yeah. read 
reflect and you know make you make you think in that in that sense and i think if, if you went through it and you found out the process of how that piece of content was created you you'd be able to see the kind of the hard work and and the expertise that goes into it so i think that's a you know it's a, it's a key point um go on no, if I can, Glenn, um, the other thing as well, for example, with the, lo the longer pieces of content like reports or white papers, again, I mentioned that before working with a designer, understanding where things go, you might want to have call out boxes, you might want to have quotes, again, understanding where should we put it in the whereabout, you know, so that also that relationship is, is fundamental. And I think that's something working with designers, I've learned a hell of a lot from them, as maybe hopefully some of them have learned something from me along the way. But when the two come together, it is a beautiful thing, because then, you know, you see your words but they bring your words to life don't they but in, in a way that's also engaging to the reader as well so you know th there's all sorts of techniques tips and tricks and it probably would take a hell of a lot longer to, to discuss all the finer points but hopefully there's a snippet of that there. Yeah, definitely and of course pe people can um, reach out to you and find you on linkedin and discuss this one-on-one -on -one if they want to <laughs> So, yeah, yeah. Um, so let, let, let's find out a little bit more about about, about you um you know the, my my usually my favorite part of the show because it's that little bit more personal but what, what's yeah. your what's your favorite brand well i've got just as a little nod to my italian heritage you probably guessed you know both my parents were from italy i, I was born and bred here i've got dual dual nationality as well both so you know it, you know it's very very close roots very proud of my roots so i'm gonna i'm gonna say campari uh -huh. um for the simple reason that i love aperitifs i love spirits just but this campari it's a family brand it goes back years it's the very distinctive red color it's amazing a campari soda is a thing that it beats aperol hands to any other drink that you want iced campari soda slice of orange it's unbelievable and it's called the red passion you know we're passionate as italians in general and and i think campari is something you see it in a bar you instantly recognize the bottle but it's also a company that wins awards is a great place to work they're really the best of made in italy um to be but companies like campari barilla is another one they do a lot of work on dni diversity and inclusion and lots of other brilliant work that you would never associate but also the website is really cool so you know the americano was a james bond field also the versatility negroni it's used for a negroni cocktail um, and also it, it's inspired not only bartenders but artists you get posters galore of campari and it's just it's something unique it's, it's just brilliant i love it but I love the drink and I love the brand. There yeah, you go. It's funny, like, like you're saying, it's like people probably, there's probably, you know, millions and millions of people who have never even tasted the drink, but they'll be familiar with the brand. <laughs> and that's it. And that says a lot sometimes, doesn't it? Yeah. And they uh, own Aperol, by the way, because Aperol's huge over here and, and, and in a lot of places. So Campari actually owns Aperol. So there you go. There you go. Um, what about the, what's the <laughs> sound you love the most? Right. Can I choose a theme tune, a oh, theme song? Right. Yeah. yeah, so I mean, again, it takes me back to my childhood and, and probably, you know, reminds me of my dad and whatever, but it's the theme music to superstars. Um, you know, the program that we used to watch as kids on a Friday evening, you know, the late great, you know, showing my age, you know, David Vine and, and Ron Pickering back in the day. But I, I played it even the other day when I was thinking about it. And it's just, it just gives me goosebumps every time I hear it. It's um, the, the best theme tune ever by, by a long, long way. And originally it was used on ESPN Monday Night Football in America, funnily enough. And then it came over to the UK and, and was, was adapted for Superstar. So if anyone hasn't heard the Superstar's theme tune, please go onto YouTube and do it now. You're missing out. 
find it. Um, you know, what about what about um, kind of tech that you that you couldn't uh, live without as a as a writer? Um, you know, you, you, oh, the pens pens haven't really evolved into tech tech <laughs> technological um, advance that far um, over the over the years. But is, is there you know is there that bit of tech that you you just couldn't lose? Um, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, I'd say things like style guides and mm -hmm. thesauruses and stuff, but that's not really kind of, I mean, of course you can go online. I mean, I had scribbled down Kindle. I just recently got the paper white because I, I read a lot. Mm -hmm. So I'm always, but I know other guests have probably mentioned Kindle before, but mm -hmm. I mean, the other piece of tech, I mean, is my motorbike, my scooter, which I guess that comes into, I'm a big motorbike fan and mm -hmm. yeah, you know, whenever I just get on my bike and it gives me that freedom and I just love it apart from the dangers, which, which aren't great, obviously in the city. But um, yeah, I guess if that qualifies as tech, yeah. but otherwise my Kindle Paperwhite, there you go. There you go. And, um, you know, if money wasn't an object, um, you know, and you can go and live and do whatever anywhere, you know, any, any job, uh, what would that be? <laughs> Um, I know a couple of other people have said it on, on the show and I've got a backup as well, but I would say kind of what I'm doing. But if I just mm -hmm. go back when I said that when I when I started in the world of sport, I actually ended up being sort of web, web editor for the English language version of the team that I supported back then. And then after that, I went on to sort of write the press kit for the motorbike racer, the most famous motorbike racer in the world. It was a bit of a hero. So I kind of, at that time, it was the heyday of Football Italia and we were working mm -hmm. on the AC Milan website, on Juventus's website, Real Madrid's website. There were a couple of us and we were sort of living the dream because, you know, we were, we were talking to the journalists at the training ground every day for, for you know, to update, you know, put updates up on the website. So that was a little bit living the dream at that time. And I've kind of kept it going, but also with recruitment, the fact of helping people in their careers to the point that I set up a blog, um, how to you know get ahead in your career a few years ago. And, and I started in, I went on a journey of interviewing people, experts in, in all sorts of areas, from interviews to leadership to men, you name it, I, I, I spoke to those people. So again, it really is a passion. I love what I do. Um, I mean, my backup, which is, I don't know why, but it's postman, being a postman. There you go. There's wow. something about, yeah, there's something about the happiness. Um, you know, I, I remember, you know, there was the film, um, The Postman, but, you know, I just had visions of myself in a little remote rural village somewhere in the Orkney Islands, some of the Falkland, I don't know, anywhere. And like literally on your little bicycle going around chatting to people. And I thought, you know, there's got to be a huge amount of satisfaction in doing something like that. So the, po the humble posty has always had a bit of a something for me, held something for me. I don't I can't like, quite I, explain it. I like, no, I like that. That's it. That is a brilliant answer. <laughs> Uh, I'm, 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 for, for this last one, the favourite swear word, um, considering your, your your heritage that um, I alluded to, I was hoping oh. for a little bit of an international <laughs> flavour here, um, but is, is there going to be? No, no, not really. There's just one word that always brings a smile to my face. And I, I don't know. I don't particularly use it. I'm not the biggest swearer in the world. Like, but in Italy, you're right. Uh, you know, swear words in Greece, in its southern European countries, every other word is a swear word. So you're right. I could I could I could sort of list a good few of those. But the word I'm going to go with and it's I'm just laughing just as I'm, I've written it down. It's bellend. It's just oh. got to be bellend. Now, I don't know how much. No, it's a good it one. Is. Yeah, a, I, I think I it's one of those you can get get away with, and people they, they can think, oh, I'm not sure if I should be offended by that. 
because it, yeah. it's, it's derogatory, yeah. but it's not offensive, that, that kind of thing. But no, yeah. I really like that. It, I, it does. It does make me laugh. And there was somebody I interviewed once up north, and, and I, if, if you don't mind, and he was from like St. Helens. So St. Helens is a bit of a, a mixture of, I think, Liverpudlian and Mancunian. It's like a halfway, more Scouse than not. And, he, and he, this guy said to me, we were talking about, he go, he's a fucking bell. <laughs> <laughs> and I just remember that, you know, bell and bell. So the the, the dialect saying, always yeah. helps as well, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, Luca, I think I, I love going into these specialist episodes where we dig into um, a specialist uh, kind of topic and an area of the marketing mix. And when that's combined with, with someone who's got the experience in the, in the recruitment world, like you have, I think it's, um, it's a, of huge benefit to to anyone who's listening so um on that note thank you very much for joining thank you so much glenn really appreciate it. it's been great a lot of fun thank you um and everyone else i will speak to you all very very soon 